Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Love Selling Hate Sales. You know, sales has a little bit of a bad perception. It's portrayed by a lot of bad actors out there in the world. And unfortunately, a lot of those bad actors come from the automotive industry. Everyone thinks of the sleazy car salesman, the used car salesman, all those different acronyms that you might want to get into for, uh, for, for the bad actors in sales. Today I have joining me a guest is actually a good friend of mine. His name's Frank Tziti, and he's a professional facilitator and corporate trainer. And Frank actually cut his teeth in the industry training automotive sales professionals. So we're going to talk with him a little bit today about what he calls the EQ and the IQ and jump into how we can really tap into better selling coming from the master of getting the bad actors to be good actors. Frank Tziti, thanks for joining the show. Hey, man, it's an absolute pleasure. It's great to see you. And uh, I, I like that whole setup. Everything you said, I you agree like- with it wholeheartedly. Yeah, man. So let's dive right in. You like to yeah. say soft skills are anything but. Yeah, I think that definitely. So I've been in training and facilitation for about 20 years, thanks to great mentors in my life and had this opportunity to come into this world of training. And I remember when I came in a lot, of, I learned more and more and more dealing with more and more clients. They're just like, it's all about ones and zeros. It's all about, you know, the bottom line, we got to do it. What's, what's the quarterlies and all that. And that those things are important. That's the IQ of all of this, the analytics, the metrics, which you are, I know your brain, it's filled with all that stuff. And <laughs> I think, especially from a leadership perspective, I learned more and more and more that a lot of people put a lot of weight and power on those hard skills. Right. They're like mm-hmm. the detail that it's the dri- the task driven elements. But I think, number one, I felt for a long time that people were just taking for granted that everybody they hired had really good soft skills. You know, and there might have been a time generationally where that was true. But I think different generations have different focuses. Right. And then the mindset of them as employees change. And the other thing is the pandemic accelerated this gap of really good interpersonal skills. So I think. Probably around six, seven years ago, I started to really realize that we are taking for granted that these people know how to do the EQ elements and they mostly don't. <laughs> you know, we've we've taken it, uh, assumed that, well, they've had great parents who train them on all these things and they've got mentors and they don't. <laughs> There's a lot of people who don't. But the other thing was, especially in the in the last two years, I felt more and more and found more and more that there's a lot of comfort in the IQ. There's a lot of safety. There's a lot of reliability. And it's like, hey, I as a business or I as a leader or you know, a manager of people, I'm just gonna stick to those numbers. And I don't wanna be their parent. And I don't wanna be their therapist. And I don't care what their feelings are. And there's a lot of risk involved with the EQ. And not only that from a leadership perspective, it feels risky for them to invest and engage emotionally with their employees but the employees feel the same way about customers or clients. It's risky to get too close to clients. Why? I mean, I've got enough friends. <laughs> it's People work with people that they know, like, and trust. So you've got to get them to know you, like you, and trust you. And if you can't do that, then you're like everybody else. You are just doing what everybody else has done and you're just focusing on the bottom line. And it's really weird because the way you get to that great bottom line is you focus on the emotional stuff and make customers feel like you actually give a crap. 
That's a long answer you know, Frank, to a very simple question. No, it's great. And you know, a lot of this audience are B2B sales professionals. So right. let's do a little bit of tying in here. Okay. Give us an example, going back to the, the bad actors that we really think about in the auto world. Yeah. Give an example where you've seen EQ applied and yep. changing the perception of the person on the other side. I think that there's a lot of people, especially in the automotive world, that have just felt like the number one thing that customers want is the lowest price. And there's a ton of research and data that points to that that's not the case. People will pay more for a better experience. And how, and the question is, how do you define that? It's really uh, a nebulous concept. It's like, it's slippery. For each person, it's different. So the more you can tailor an experience, the more you can personalize and focus on their preference, the more it becomes perceptionally valuable. So what I've seen a lot of is people just, especially in the car business, it's all transaction. Hi, welcome, you're looking for a car? Great, I got cars right over here. You're looking for light colors or dark colors? You're looking for four door, two door, manual, automatic, right? And they're putting you in a box transactionally. Like it, I, I call it the Chipotle method, chicken or beef, corn or flour, right? Your guac is extra. And, you lot, and it's like you, you're training this person from the beginning that this is nothing but a transaction. And then they rush them right into the sale. And then when it gets to the time they ask for their business, the customer's like, uh, sure, I'll take five grand off. And they're like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. Whoa, what? You're taking money out of my pocket. I thought we were friends. And, this, and the customers should be looking them back in the face and it's like, we're not friends. Like from the beginning, you didn't demonstrate that you care about me. You didn't demonstrate that I mean anything to you, that this was just business. And I think that's why brands like Carvana and you know CarMax is it's they're they're just certified premium resellers, but they at least from a perception standpoint are like we're not going to do things the old school way. So back to your question, like what have I seen? I've seen people slow down and say, "We will get to the car. I know what the car is about, and I know what the deal is about, and we'll finally get there." But if I can stop for just a little bit and just demonstrate gratitude, humility understanding that you're a human just like me and you have needs. You know, I, I constantly go back to a mentor of mine, a guy by the name of Rick Davis, who's who's a longtime facilitator now in the neuroscience world. And I'm just, I'm, I'm marketing his quote everywhere because he calls it the three questions and I put it out on social so many times. But he says, these are the questions that patients are asking of doctors when they come to see these doctors. And it's, you know, do you care about me? Can I trust you and can you help me? And then he, he enlightened me to the fact that these are the same questions that customers are asking of employees of any business. Do you care about me? Can I trust you? Can you help me? But think about this, Josh. What's the number one thing that businesses are saying to customers? We can help you. We're here to help. We can help. Look how, help, look how helpful we are. Look how credible we are. But the problem is, is that they probably won't let you help them until they feel they can trust you. And they're probably not going to trust you and feel, until they feel like they, you care about them as a human being. So... You know, I, simply put, I mean, I framed it for a long time that hu human beings are like ATMs that, you know, you've got to figure out my pin code and you got to start making emotional deposits from the moment I meet you. But most people don't. Most people walk up and they start withdrawing money and they're a negative balance right away. They're just to the point, not modifying. Well, that's not how we do things. Here's what we offer. Take it or leave it. You know, if you don't buy today, this car is not going to be here in an hour. And we're currently in the sales climate, that is the truth. But in, in that situation, it's just like negative, negative, negative. And they don't know the code. They don't know the person. So they walk up and they punch in their own code. And then they're shocked when they get a denial for the transaction. So. 
Well, you know, you talked about the IQ being that safety blanket, not mm-hmm. only for the person hiring, but also for the, the person doing the selling or maybe even for the person doing the buying, right? Yeah. yeah. Hiring is a big deal. Especially okay. in your business, I'm sure it is. And B2B sales, it's a huge deal. It's a huge problem. It's, it's yeah. difficult. And you were telling me in pre-show that people often hire for the skill, the hard skills, the, the IQ, but they should really be looking at the EQ instead. So talk to me a little bit about the difference there. How do you hire differently with that in mind? Yeah, I mean, I, I used to for a long time call it talent versus skill. Talent is innate. It's something you can't teach. It's something inside of a human. And skills are, are just basically skill sets that most anybody should be able, with repetition, consistency, and continued support, be able to do. But uh, I just was turned on by Stephen Chedletsky from the, the Simon Sinek community. He turned me into a guy named Rich Davini. And Rich has got this book called The Attributes. I'm about two, three chapters in listening on, on books on tape. And uh, it's not actually on tape. That's weird. But it's uh, an audio book. And I'm listening to it. And he defines those talents as attributes. And there was this, this conversation they have in the first whole part of this where he was training the world's best spec ops operators and people would come to this specialized camp. So these were 20 year Navy SEALs, veteran rangers, but they'd come to his specialized camp and people kept failing and they kept bouncing them out. And then the superiors are like, what is the criteria? Because this person's hitting the target every time and this person's doing the procedures every time. Why are you bouncing them? And he said, well, <laughs> they don't have grit. And they're like, well, what the hell's grit? So they're defining it as courage and perseverance and adaptability. And I'm, again, I'm just into the book. But that that is the most recent light bulb that's gone off in my head because of that 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 literature. That that's really when you you see people hire people in any business, but man, in the car business, they're just like. And it's just so it's so brutal. It has been for so long. This is not every dealer, but a lot of dealers. Do you have a pulse? Can you show up on time? Do you have clothing? Do you wear it in public? Great. Come, you know, and they they roll the dice. And I often think of, man, I'm probably going to get the name wrong, but I think it's Daniel Daniel Kim over at Next Jump. I don't know if that's the name, but Next Jump is a software company, and their CEO instituted a lifetime hiring policy. And so what they said was, if you get a job with us, you get a job for life, unless you do something incredibly morally corrupt, obviously right or legally wrong. But if you decided to leave. They will help you find your next job. They will go out and actively do that. And the key thing is, is that they have single digit rates of people who want to leave. But the other thing is, if I'm going to hire this person for life, think about how stringent we are in hiring. Because we're like, this is going to be our brother or sister or uncle or cousin for life. So why are we hiring them? Do they have something that fits our culture? So I think it is easy, you know, and and you said the warm blanket. You're right. Right now, it's hard to find anybody. It's hard to get anybody because everybody has options. I keep trying to explain to these people who are managers and, and senior leaders, yeah, I'm sorry, the 20-year-old who you want to have 20 years of experience, right? That person looks at you and you're trying to offer them this amount of money and these things and they do have, they do, they have a realistic opportunity that they can go open toys for a living and be a millionaire on YouTube. Maybe not a millionaire, but they can make six figures on YouTube. So you've you've better find something to inspire them. And I'm sorry, just can they check this box, that box, and that box? That's good. Those are necessary things. But man, what could you teach them? Hire for their potential. Hire for their 
their inspirational elements inside, their attributes slash talents, and then think to yourself, what skills can we, what tool can I put in their hand? Because if, I, if they're not inspired on their own or they don't have these internal attributes that are like the rocket fuel that's going to guide them into this position, that's, I can't teach that. I can't teach that at all. So the other thing I'm a big junkie on, man, I know you have a question, but it's onboarding. This I'm addicted to it. I wish I could teach an entire eight-hour class on just onboarding because two things, and I'll come back to you. Uh, evidently, I don't care about this stuff at all. Number one, you're the one being interviewed, not the not the new hire. You're the you're the interview. That you as the manager sitting down, your job is to sell them on why you'd be a great leader, sell them on why you'd be a compelling coworker consistently for the next three five years of their lives. If you can even get them to think that long, because options are everywhere. But stop thinking. The worst question is, tell me why you want this job. You should be the other way around. Let me tell you why I think you might want to be a part of our team. Let me sell you on what our culture is like here and what we're about. And I think that paradigm shift helps a lot of people think about how is our interviewing process. The other thing is, what's the first seven days like? At the, the end of the first night and the end of the first week, ask yourself this question. If they went home and they talked to their spouse and their spouse said, so how to go? If at the end of the first day, they're not going amazing or the end of the first week going, I can really see myself here for a long time. That's not a good sign. And there's uh, MIT University. I've got a, 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 the results they did. I found an article that basically shows that I think it was about 74% of people start looking for a new job within a week of getting their new job. And for millennials, that number's higher. So it's, it's all connected. And, you know, it's not just the applicant's attributes. It's your attributes as a leader and a culture and a team. Well, that's fascinating because, you know, the chief revenue <laughs> officer in, in B2B sales is becoming quickly the shortest tenure. Oh, in wow. the in executive leadership, the average VP of sales doesn't last more than 18 months. And we're seeing wow. rep churn at historically high rates. So you talked about the onboarding experience. This obviously matters. Yeah. What does good look like, Frank? Uh, every That's different every time. I don't know what the, you know, it, you're, you first you got to back up. What's your culture of your business, right? What's the why within your team? Why do you do what you do? Money is a result. So what is it that's got you motivated? Because if you don't have a rallying cry, if you don't like have like a flag that you're waving, like this is who we are and what we do, I don't know if anybody's inspired to come along with you. But that's the first thing. What's your culture like? And then figure out how the onboarding matches that. So I remember seeing an onboarding kit for, for Pepsi, if you're going to go work there and it was all these sodas <laughs> so it was like mountain dew and you know this drink and that drink and you get this big onboarding kit of soda and i was like okay thanks for all the different brands but is there something more and i've seen uh different teams do some really cool ideas uh there's uh i'm pretty sure it's uh, it might not be twitter but I'll, I'll get back to you i'll get back to your audience but there are several software companies they, they get to meet the CEO on the very first day. They spend the day with the CEO. Then they come in and they sit down and they have a meeting and they have a lunch and they really get to know that person. Uh, obviously shadowing is great and really not just one position. So if somebody was in like this amount, this sales, like having them shadow all departments, having them shadow the marketing team for a day, having them shadow the, 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 the shipping team for a day, really getting a sense of everybody what's going on. That also shows a great teamwork within your community that you're not in silos. Um, but I think something, if you really want to think about how you go above and beyond, put a little what's over my shoulder intent and effort. 
Uh, all credit due to Vayner, Gary V, his intent and effort mantra has motivated me for the last seven years. Uh, I would say that if you're going to have a new hire, do some research. What are they like? What are they into? Right. I know you're in Arizona and you're a Cardinals fan and you're a Suns fan. I'm not going to send you just a basketball. I'm going to try to send you a Suns jersey within the first week of you becoming a part of our team, even if I'm a Laker fan, which I am. And so it's it's personalization. I think everybody's like, well, give me the kit. You got the kit? Give me the kit. So now here's the kit that everybody gets. It's free schmutz. Doesn't mean anything. Like, that's cool and everybody will take it. But what if you found out that they were into Funko Pop, you know, and they, it's this, you know, $9 Funko Pop doll. And then you find out they're Marvel fans. And then you find out that Doctor Strange is their jam. And I know that there's some leader or manager going, why am I going to take the time and effort and energy for my hiring manager to go get this one little thing? And I'm like, do you care about that employee? Do you really want to entice them? Do you want to stop turnover? Then prove to them that you care about them. Do something. It's what we do for customers. It's the same thing we do for them. We do follow up with funky ideas. And most of that is generic follow up in general. But Seth Godin is, you know, his book, Purple Cow, is what inspired me on that. I saw a great talk he did, which said, you know, a purple cow is when people stop, they take a picture and they tell somebody. Otherwise, it's all cows. And for the last couple of years, for me as a trainer facilitator, every class I teach, I'm writing handwritten notes to every single participant. And I'm putting something in there that I gathered from the last three days of being with that person. Their heads explode. I had, I had two people cry so far. I had one I had one guy admit my father never said he loved me like no joke. These are these are the thing because they just don't get the EQ stuff. They get the IQ stuff all the time. Here it is. Here's how you log in. Here's your password. Here's your shirt. Here's the name badge. This is your cubicle. And I I know that that's all important. Don't let me sleep on that. But the EQ is what connects us. And the better connected they are, the more they feel like they're part of the tribe, the more likely they are to go to bat for you. So anyways, what else? Yeah, I mean, like you said, people are buying the experience. That shouldn't change in onboarding. Yeah, Onboarding is a part of the experience that you're buying as a new employee coming on and investing your time, your energy, and your life, essentially. You're spending more time with these people now than you are with your family. Yep. And we should be investing in that experience. Yeah, and with so many Zooms, people working from home, you have even a more limited window. You don't have those times passing each other in the cubicle or in the lunchroom. You're doing your one meetup and you're doing your one, you know, and everybody's pissed off because there are meetings everywhere. And it's like all this time and it's like booked and I got to run here and do that, jump on this Zoom and that, you know, team teams meeting. So like you, this is even more the time, especially if you're in a leadership position to say, how are my how are my team doing? What are my people doing? I think you glossed over something that I was going to touch on the, the, the personalized experience with your thank you cards, but I've had the luxury of seeing Frank in action and teach soft skills at an incredibly high level, but I don't want to gloss over what you said about the follow-up thank you cards. So Frank and I had dinner together a few weeks ago in Phoenix. We had some pizza, pizzeria Bianco, shout out to Chris Bianco, some of the best in the country. I'm not even lying. Sunny boy. Excellent stuff. Sunny boy and the Sunny Bianco boy. Verde. I think that's what I had. Frank, tell the, like, what, really tell the people what you do. You're, okay. you're in class with these people for three days, probably, yeah. right? They're, they're yeah. spending their life with you for three days. You're in front. You're 
facilitating activities. I know you're the tactile guy. You get really into that. Yeah. But immerse people a little bit in this experience and then let's not gloss over that follow-up that you do. Let's okay. dive into it a little bit. See, I feel like I'm going to be giving away my secret sauce now, but it does. No, I don't oh, mean for shoot. anybody else. No, 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 no. I don't mean for anybody else who's listening. Please do this. I'm worried that any participant who's going to come to one of my classes is going to know this surprise in advance, but who, they're not going to watch this. It's just me and you and like three other salespeople from the from the biotech world. But the audience isn't I, that big. That's right. But uh, I I remember like get, I watched this video from Gary Vee and it was about intent and effort. And he was like, a $5 gift is worth more than a $100 gift when it's personalized. And then I got into, we were at uh, doing a training at Ritz Carlton and we met with their head of house, Sky, I think it was Liam. And I said, why is Ritz, what is it about Ritz that does you know this thing? Because they're not the best hotels. They're not the most luxurious properties, but they have world-class, world-famous customer service stories. Just anybody listening, Google Joshi the giraffe, you'll find that that starts you down the rabbit hole of amazing experiences. But he said our mantra is LCHI, low cost, high impact. So what can we do that minimizes the financial cost but maximizes the emotional? And one example is at, at their hotels, they'll go on your social media, pull pictures down from your Instagram if it's a public page, and put them on your television screen when you check in with your name and it says welcome home, right? Low cost, high impact. And I know some people are like, oh, they're stalking me on social media. It's like, come on, get over it. You have a public page. You made it public. If you want it private, you make it private. And many people do. So I, I did it first with my clients. And I sent out 20 cards at Christmas like five years ago. And I just sent it to people I'd worked with for 10, 20 years. And I did a ton of research. I found their university they went to. I found their uh, their, their favorite sports team, whatever their hobby was, music, movie, whatever. And I drew on all these cards and I wrote detailed notes. And then I put on the back that I made a donation in their honor to the, to every one of their alma maters, any school they went to, any university that they went to, or some people were a part of the YMCA. I made a donation to that. And we're not talking a hundred dollars, right? We're talking like 20 bucks. And the thing is, I didn't tell those people it was 20 bucks. And I guarantee the YMCA will still take my 20 bucks. That's how they raise millions of dollars. So then it became, uh, I think one of my favorite lines in Jack Reacher is every time anybody asks, like, how did you start to hide from the world? He doesn't have a passport. He doesn't have, you know, doesn't fly. And he said it started as a hobby and it became an obsession. And that's, that has become me. So what I do now, this is my last one in, at JFK. I literally go through and I bring a stack of cards and I draw something every time, favorite sports team, and I write out these notes and I hide them on the table and I say, uh, cause we're in that follow-up discussion with them as automotive. And I say, what do you do to follow up? And they say, well, you know, thank you cards. And I was like, what's the thank you card? <laughs> Same thing every time, rubber stamp goes out, postcard, thank you for buying X vehicle, thank you. My favorite is got any referrals, Send me that business. You know, they don't, they don't say it that way, which is, which is again, which is the IQ stuff. You're right. You do need to, you need to stay on referrals. But then I say, does it do anything? And they're like, yeah, sort of. And I say, well, let's find out. And then I have them open it up and like, no joke, man. I have just people's heads explode because they, they've never had anybody do a purple cow for them. And that immediately starts to draw the line in the sand. 
is it just a cow or is it purple? And a lot of people, when they think they're going the extra mile, they, they really come to find out they're going the extra inch. And here's what's crazy. The customer thinks it's a mile. The customer's like, oh, they remembered my name on my birthday and sent me a thank you card. Yeah, that's because the CRM system spit that out. Do they remember your birthday and also remember that you're a huge Harry Potter fan? And do they send you a sticker in the mail for Gryffindor because that's your specific house that the sorting app put you in when you went to Universal with your kids? And the other thing I realized, man, is my the brain is truly a muscle. And now my active listening skills are maximized because when I am intentionally every time interacting, looking for something to grab and looking for a personal piece, I get it. I hold on to it. I jot down a note. I save it. And then by the end of the week, I've got what is a really great capper for the experience. Just something to try to experientially let them feel what it's like. And I think I'm hoping that I'm making a small difference in the world of sales so that people step back and go, I can't just send this little crap thing anymore. Like I can't. And and the last th- the last thing to that whole conversation is another Vayner original. Uh, one is greater than zero, meaning scalability is the kryptonite to great customer service. A lot of people, well, it's not scalable, so we can't do it. He says, just because you can't do something for everyone doesn't mean you shouldn't do it for someone. That broke my brain. That's, and I use it every time with every person. When the pessimism pops up, I go, whoa, 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 whoa. What about one out of 10? Can you give me one out of 10 customers you'll do this for? And they're like, oh, that's easy. I was like, great, then you have no more excuses. It's, it's, it, find your 10% of customers And the book over my shoulder, Human Sigma, would say that those 10% of your customers are usually the most profitable, the least expensive to maintain. They hold the highest portfolios of of wealth in your company, and they really do actually care about your business because you care about them. So, Well, Frank, I can tell you, I don't know anyone who has better intent and puts in more effort than you. So these stories are phenomenal. And this is what people, no matter what you're selling, absolutely should be doing. So I want to be fair. I don't want to pigeonhole you as the automotive sales trainer. So okay. talk to the audience about what you do, because I think people yeah. should hire you for keynotes. I've seen you in action. You're the best. <laughs> but you, you tell me, what, what do you want to be hired for? Yeah, no, I never have anything against the car industry. I, I started selling when I was 19, new and used in Phoenix, Arizona. That became a boot, boot camp for me. And then I did auto show and automotive facilitation and training for like the last 20 years. But about a decade ago, my, my wheelhouse changed when I really realized what was important to me. And that's just interpersonal skills. So that's everything from body language, eye contact, verb, you know, verbiage, word choice, luxury language, the sort of human improved conversation. I think that's where it starts on what is the best opportunity to connect with humans. And then going deeper, everything from disc behavioral assessments into leadership conversations with Gallup Strength Finders. These are things that I've been exposed to over my, my last two decades. But some of my blessings of brands and the clients that I've known now for 20 years are you know, BMW and Mini. And then I've had a chance to work for Sub-Zero on the appliance side and Leica in the digital camera world. But all of these amazing brands. I've been so lucky to not work for a crap brand. <laughs> like if they call, I'm going to be like, I don't think I could do it because these are all like A-listers. Uh, recently, the EV explosion happened and I got the, the really amazing opportunity to work for Tesla in the U.S. and the U.K. on just straight up customer service. And now really uh, excited to work in the near future with Rivian as a partner to try to help develop their service philosophy. What's that EV experience like? Because it's so different in that world 
Um, it just It's a different animal. The machine is different, and as a result, the business is different. So it's a new challenge for me that I'm excited about. But yeah, I love I love talking. I love speaking. I did a thing for a Kia, Kia, you know, um, Soul Hall out there for Kia and came out and tried to talk about gratitude, tried to talk about, you know, it's not that we get to do something or not that we have to do something, it's that we get to do something. Uh, you know, the, you, you, why do people climb mountains, Josh? It doesn't, doesn't make any sense. It's dangerous. It's expensive, right? But they get the opportunity to do that. Like, you know, I think it's Buddha says life is suffering. So choose your suffering, right? Like lean in. It's no, well, Why would anybody build a house? That's just ridiculous. But unless it's something you love to do and it's something you're passionate about. Uh, and then the other thing was uh, gratitude for this one stuck with me a lot recently. Uh, my blank is somebody else's blank. My house is somebody else's mansion. My meal is somebody else's banquet. My car is somebody else's Porsche. You know, and, and if I looked at myself 10 years ago and saw the life that I have now, how excited would I be, right? And that's just the gratitude of that. And that just, so motivating people, businesses, teams, and then my, my personal passion lately has been leadership. Just what is it? It's courage. It's not easy. It's, it's getting above and beyond whatever they think the expectation is. And just because somebody was great at sales and you hired them to be the manager, that's not a good strategy. That means that you now hired them for a totally different skill set. They were a great salesperson. And now you expect that they're going to go out and make everybody else like them. And they're like, well, that's not how everybody else sells. So you've got to make sure that you're hiring for somebody who's got the leadership capabilities, not just the performance capabilities. That's back to the attributes versus skills conversation. So that's my name. I'm Frank. That's my time, everybody. I'm out. All right. Well, that's it. No. If, if, if you want to talk more with Frank, Big yeah. three, you know, big three takeaways for me, Frank. People take yeah. the soft skills for granted. Yeah. Two, people <laughs> buy experiences. And three, the onboarding matters. Mm. All right. So if you want to hire Frank to up the EQ of your entire sales team, no matter, well, you better be an A-list brand. Otherwise, he's going to say no. <laughs> but Sorry. Vi- visit him on LinkedIn, right? Where else can yes. we find you? I mean, LinkedIn's the best. LinkedIn is the greatest right. place. I've got an Instagram page, but that's just for cool photos. And I'm only on TikTok as an observer for now, for now. But I'm working on hopefully some some literature to come out in the future and some more videos. But LinkedIn, you know, and that's where I know that you share to your, your business community. Yeah, if there's an opportunity to help, I have massive gratitude. But all of that aside, it's just great to see you. And Thanks, man. You too. With, yeah, having dinner with you the other night was just an awesome, awesome blessing. So... My best to you and your family. And the next time I'm in Phoenix, I'm buying the Pizzeria Bianco. Beautiful. Yeah. All right. So if you liked listening to me and Frank, go to your podcast provider. You need to write us a little review. Give us the five stars. Make sure you tell us how great we are, at least how great Frank is. I know, you know, you know, listening awesome to me. Too. But Frankie, thanks you for joining the show. Till next time, yeah. we'll see you again on another episode of Love Selling, Hate Sales. <laughs>